Dublin Jack has a story to tell, bringing you into 1800s Ireland underworld of vice. Now, he has the experience and is ready to take on a big city, moving to London. It is there when he lays his mark on the world, leaving clues to his life, his story, and his adventures as a professional and proud rent boy. Hello, my name is Summer, and this is Paying For It. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. Thank you for being here for episode 11. Happy St. Patty's Day or belated St. Patty's Day. But you know, we had to celebrate here on Paying For It in Paying For It style, including fully decked out in St. Patty's gear. Okay? Okay. <laughs> I had to take us back to Ireland, of course, for this episode, just so we could be in the spirits. And boy... Let me tell you to grab your tea, girlfriend, because we are about to spill some historical tea and we're here for it, all right? At least I am, and I hope you are too. But before we get there, let's talk about some current events happening around the world. Yes, so I had read a lovely article, lovely, I shouldn't say lovely, but I read a really good article on um, Reason.com, and it was basically going over a report about how, or like a study, not a report, a study about how rape rates have gone down in countries that legalized prostitution and it raises with sex work prohibited. And that's so interesting because the narrative usually around sex work or at least pro-sex work is that um, it doesn't do anything, but, you know, it just has a very negative connotation about uh, the women who work in it, the men who uh, pay for it, and just in general, uh, the children in the communities that are, it surrounds, which is so, so weird and outdated and just like plays into this narrative that sex work is bad. But it's so weird how we can have all the evidence contrary to what is being said. And we still, still cannot get our lives together enough to just at least start the process of maybe decriminalization. Now, let me start off with saying today, well, this week for me was a weird week because 
not only am I just in love with history and uh, stories of our ladies of the past, but I'm also really into true crime. And I love true crime, and I'm constantly listening to like Kendall Ray, Crime Weekly, and Mile Higher Podcasts. Just um, in general, listening to, uh, I, I prefer to listen to them speak on true crime because they advocate um, in a way that aligns with the victim's family or the missing people. Like, you know, I, it just, they are professional and kind and they, they truly want to help the community and see a lot of these cases go solved that are often just going cold and it's a very crazy sad world but I um yeah so this week I had a like a bit of a a weird internal feelings I guess on a case that Kendall Ray did I mean I'm telling you it has stuck with me this is going on the fourth day since I've listened to her um uh listened to her video on um Allie let me make sure I say her name right. I didn't plan to even talk about her, but I figured, you know, might as well, might as well be re real. And I'll get to why. Um, they don't, the, this case doesn't really relate to the article at all, but um, I'm going to get to why I'm bringing it up because they do relate in my brain, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. I'm still probably going to say her name wrong, her last name wrong. But um, Kendall already covered in, uh, uh, the case of Ali Lowetzer, and she is still missing today. And it's, I believe, to be around 10 years later. She went missing when she was 16, and it happened in the matter of minutes and and honestly, just the way this ca this case was handled was just grossly mishandled in a way that just boils your blood. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because one of the she's still missing, so it's an open investigation. Although it is very cold, and the way that the cops did handle it, uh. <sighs> If it's ever going to get solved, it's probably not because of them, okay? And this is now like shade to cops. A lot of the times I feel like um, they're just, you know, doing their job and they're like, anyways, I'm not going to get into the whole cop thing, but I'm just saying it was grossly mishandled by the, um, the sheriff's department. This happened right outside of Houston. And if you know anything about Houston, you might know that it's one of the number one states for sex trafficking, or number one cities for sex trafficking. And uh, yeah, so kind of goes into one of the reasons, one of the uh, theories behind Allie and where she might be and that she possibly is still alive. And pretty much just like hidden in plain sight, which is a... Hard thing to try to like wrap your head around to understand because you think like with today's technology that it's not like that, but I, it is, it is and it's crazy. But yeah, so the story behind her case is that she was 
she was 16 she had just gotten her first job and she was super excited about it she was saving some money doing her thing going to school she loved sports she was just like a normal teenage girl and so she asked her mom this is the most heartbreaking part of the story is that she asked her mom to um after school this day to be able to when she got off the school bus instead of walk straight home walk and pick up her paycheck from the restaurant that she was working at her mom originally said no because she never had done this before and um she was like a little worried about it of course but Allie begged and begged to just go pick up her paycheck and she was also hoping to maybe just even pick up another shift so eventually her mom does give in and tells Allie that she can do that but with some stipulations that she needed to text her and let her know like if she was picking up a shift or you know if she was heading home and uh just like kind of keep her updated which is normal for a mom honestly when she did not get the text back from Allie, she didn't uh, like immediately panic because in her brain, she was just like, okay, she got there, picked up another shift and forgot to text me. So she was probably like, I'm definitely going to have a conversation with her, but she didn't know what was coming, you know, here and here and yeah, anyways. So when eventually her mom realizes that she can't get a hold of her and stuff she of course calls the police the police come and pretty much tell her that she ran away and that she'll be back in a couple days and yeah that's pretty much it a couple days later they say or the next day they tell her the exact same thing they don't even they won't even open a missing case they won't even file missing case on Allie. They don't do anything for Allie in, at all. And the only thing that she, her mom had was to attempt to get the media attention. And this was in 2010, I believe. So, you know, that wasn't as easy. But when they finally start getting... Uh, some attention to Allie's disappearance, the police decide, okay, we have to like um, do something now. So they eventually start to investigate. But the first place they go when investigating is doing an extremely thorough and um, intense investigation on the family to the point where it went on for weeks and they really were convinced that her brother or they weren't even convinced they were really just trying to close this case in a way that's almost eerie because they were trying hard to put it on the you know, the other brother the older brother who had an airtight alibi witnesses friends people he was hanging out with friends like there was no way because all of the friends agreed that he was with them and it just didn't make sense. But there are some other theories that say this was the work of a professional and that I don't want to like Kendall Way didn't allude to this, but the case stuck to me and I had to do some more research for myself. And it really feels as if 
it didn't get investigated in a way that it should have because maybe there's some cover-up going on in this town, this city. And it's really scary and it's really sad. And I know that talking about sex work in general, it, it goes hand in hand with sex trafficking and human trafficking. And I like to make it very clear that those are not the women I want to talk about in my stories when I talk about women who thrived in the business because there are women who thrived in the business, but that does not mean that we don't have an epidemic going on in our our world with human trafficking. And I believe that in order to save our motherfucking children, okay, from being able to just walk to work without having to worry about getting abducted off the street in broad daylight. And this wasn't like just like, this wasn't an untraveled street. This was like, she was walking to her restaurant, her bus dropped her off. This was like a busy street, you know? But the way her phone was turned off immediately and discarded and just like all traces, especially in 2010, were stopped immediately and the fact that it happened within four minutes of her getting off the bus um, says that maybe someone knew what they were doing and Kendall does a really good job of like laying out the facts of this case and stuff but um, when I when I was done with it I was literally so sad and so scared and just so heartbroken for the family in general because of what little was done for them and the heartbreak because Kendall talks to the families as much as possible when doing her videos which is amazing but how heartbroken and just destroyed her mom was but she's still out there fighting for her daughter at least to get some kind of closure some kind of something for her and I really hope that we can get there but it does not happen with what we're doing now, what our system that we have involved now is not working. And human trafficking is a lucrative business for a reason. And in order for it to no longer be something that criminals can just exploit our children with, we need to start having some open conversations, some way to talk openly with our professional girls who do this safely daily and openly and just like want like they want to do this this is how they make their money this is what they like and with laws and regulations and I think the best way we will see this is decriminalization and a decriminalization in a way where at least that way, women who are choosing to be in this life, choosing to make this their career path, aren't getting arrested while we have, I mean, way, way, way too many people going missing with the thought that or the theory that it's because of human trafficking. And the thought that They could just be in the United States, so close but so far away from home with no real help or 
anyone actually looking out for them because it's hard like it's a <laughs> I will tell you I'm probably not the best person to even be ex- truly explaining this and understanding like there is a difference between safe and consensual sex work and trafficked children and ladies and in order to stop the lucrative underground business of selling humans we need to start having open and honest conversations about what a world would look like if we decriminalize sex work and why it's so important to not only our communities but to those who fall victim to fucktards seriously it's just Anyways, so I was reading this article and I'll of course link the article and Kendall Ray's video down below if you're into true crime. I know that was kind of a heavy topic. That's the thing. Sometimes we have to have heavy conversations to get change. We have to be willing to talk it out and willing to hear other people's um, opinion and also willing to see the dark side of things that could potentially be good you know like I'm not blind to the fact that there are a lot of people trafficked and aren't choosing a life to live but that uh, this life to live but that does not mean we can just decriminalize it because it's not going away it's just becoming underground allowing criminals to profit extremely profit off of this like the uh, yeah you know it's so gross and it's hard to talk about and it makes me really sad however this article goes over a study um i will link it down below but the article of course is um is called rape rates go down as countries legalize prostitution rise with sex work prohibition and it's by elizabeth nolan brown and, you know, she does a really good job of like outlining this study that was done um, in and they found that uh, out of 31 European countries uh, spanning um, a time between 1990 and 2017, uh, eight countries liberalized their prostitution and their prostitution laws and while six countries cracked down on prostitution and overall they were able to determine liberalizing the prostitution laws linked to significant decrease in rape rapes while prohibition was linked to significant increase which duh but even with this information it's like we aren't gonna take that for anything of course Okay, and how there there are one there are four model types of prostitution laws on the prohibition side and the decriminalization side, and I, I thought it was pretty interesting. So prohibition, of course, is in which both selling and pr- paying for sex is illegal, and I and then there's the Nordic model, which is supposedly going to end demand and I want to do an entire episode on the Nordic model and how flawed it really is and how the the, the um 
countries that are using the Nordic model, if you are interested in seeing that and how, um, how it is flawed and it's not working and people are saying like, hey, this isn't working and this is why and we are, of course aren't listening. So basically this Nordic model is that um, paying for sex is illegal, but um, offering paid sex is not. So this one says the women who off or women and men who offer um, sex for pay are not gonna get in trouble. But the men who men and women um, who pay for sex and get in trouble or caught do. And this is a very flawed system. I'm sure you can see why. Because again, sex work is nicknamed the oldest profession for a reason. It is not going away. Um, and if you, even if you try to end the demand, the demand doesn't go away ever. <laughs> so um, then there are the two on the liberalization and legalization. And uh, this basically has two different um, sides to it. And there's the um, decriminalization, which neither selling nor paying for sensual sex is a criminal act. Um, and no requirements that take place in special circumstances in order for it to be legal. And that allows for brothels and stuff like that. But there is the, um, I know this intro is going on for so long, but I just think it's important. So there's the um, decriminalization side of it. And there are two um, that they focus on. And that is abolitism in which brothels are okay. And then the new abolitism in which brothels are explicitly banned. And we see that places that follow the full decriminalization of all the abolitism plan see much more success in the decrease of rape rates and much more success in um, just a more flowy kind of way of sex work and also this allows for everyone to be held accountable in a way because if you're running a brothel and you are doing everything correctly, then um, there is no fear coming on you that you'll get in trouble for speaking up or saying something if you see something, you know? So if you have a funny feeling in your gut or something like that, but also it allows for there to be a more better checks and balance system where you can easily see when things aren't right. And so I think that with this article that shows rape rates significantly dec decreasing by like like 11. So uh, the average was like 11 and they would be decreased by three or four when decriminalized. And for this, the states and um, countries that criminalized and cracked down, they've seen a significant increase by like six or seven on top of the 11, you know? So we are so often slapped in the face with evidence that um, keeping sex work illegal is more harm than good. And I hope that more people start to speak out about this, to talk about this so that we can not only 
save our children like Ali, who I'm only speculating that could still be out there, even though uh, the cops highly doubt it. And there are other theories. There's a theory even um, about a convicted murderer who was in the time at the area. His truck was found burned. It's also weird. But either way, alive or not, she's missing. And there should be some kind of answers. And they say because her fingertips, fingerprints have never been um, what's it uh, like flagged that there's no possible way she could be in the sex trade because she would be um, most likely have gotten in trouble some way in theft or something. But as Kendall says, that's not quite true because lower crimes like theft that a lot of um, on uh, a lot of people who have been trafficked or even just in like prostitution who aren't doing well or um, on down on their luck uh, is theft. And so those types of cases, there aren't always paper trails, fingertips, they don't always go into the bigger database. So we don't know. And we can't say for sure until we have the evidence, the facts that say for sure. And I just feel like once we start having the difficult conversations like this one, we can start to advance some real changes within the sex world for safer consensual play um, and also keeping our children protected holding some skeezy people accountable and not allowing there's this fear when it comes to sex work and stuff like that where women are way afraid to speak out if they see something like this and or if they have a feeling because most likely or more than likely they are the ones going to be in trouble because they are confessing on themselves in a way and so uh the like I will always say, the Justin system is broken. And the only way to fix it is start having difficult conversations. I hope this wasn't chaotic and I hope it wasn't too triggering or sad. Um, but life is both sad and happy. So we have to have sad and happy moments and conversations. And yeah, I really hope that there is movement for... Movement on Allie's case because she at least deserves that. Her family deserves that. And whether she's alive or not, they deserve answers. And for everyone else who has a missing family member who they are afraid is missing in plain sight or is they're just afraid, of course, for them. Like, my heart is with you and I can't imagine that kind of pain and I hope that our world becomes better, not only for your family member who is missing, but just in general for everyone who could possibly be found in this situation because it happens so incredibly fast and too much is being buried. At the very least, if there isn't corruption happening with some of these cases, things are being handled poorly when it comes to missing children or missing adults even. So I hope we see some major changes in the next few years to start actually fixing the issue, if that makes any sense.
thank you for bearing with me on that. I, I have strong opinions and sometimes I don't write my um, intro topic. And I really wasn't planning on talking about Ali because the case, it really fucking haunts me right now. Like, it's so sad. And uh, I sh- was shaking while I was watching her uh, coverage on it. And I'm probably going to rewatch it because I want to... It's something that resonated with me, and I think that's important. And the, the stuff surrounding her. So, um, yeah, my mic cut out, but we're back. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I just really hope to see some movement for her. I I really highly suggest that you go down and watch Kendall's video. Reach out to the local, the um, sheriff department on the case to try to demand some answers for Ali because I'm barely covering how grossly mishandled that case was and there is something we can do about it and Kendall will explain how so I suggest you do that if you are interested okay I know that was really sad and I know it's supposed to be happy because we are St. Patty's, but I just have to talk about where I was and that is where I was. So now it is time to get into a bit of a lighter topic and a bit of a gossip, gossipy gossip topic. So we're going back. Historical gossip in Ireland, okay? So it's time, you know, grab yourself a cocktail, a mocktail, coffee, oh, a tea, whatever you fancy. Today I got, I don't know if this is going to be good. I just like sometimes throw ingredients together and just like hope for the best and you know it's like 12 in the afternoon so 12 in the afternoon on a Wednesday see there's a little hair in there yeah I love that um you know so we're doing something but basically it is just lime tequila of course hello tequila girl um lime tequila chili liqueur um orange liqueur splash of orange bitters and I put in a splash of blueberry vodka and I don't even like blueberry vodka but western sun's blueberry vodka smells delicious so I needed a little sweetener I don't know but cheers 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 hopefully it's good okay that's not bad I don't mind it I don't mind it cheers and let me introduce you to the one who didn't shy away from drama John Saul or maybe Jack Saul aka Dublin Jack. And that's right, baby. Today we are talking about a man with a past. And oh, what a past it was. Born on October 29th, 1857, 1857, into the Dublin tenement slums. His father, William Soul, who was a hackney cab driver. And if you needed, if you need any reminder that his life took place in the 1800s, well, let me tell you what a hackney cab driver is. It is basically a historical cab service that was ran with one or two horses hauling the carriage around wherever you may need to go within the city. Okay, okay, no cars over here. I love to look at these because I also love to just 
get shocked every time I'm like, oh, what, what, what a life to live. What a time to live life. Just what a time. Anyways, so his dad was the sole provider for this family. Uh, and he ran his own cab business. And uh, his mother, Eliza Revington, was a woman. So, you know, she didn't have that much of options available to her so she was basically a stay-at-home working stay-at-home mom not, not working from home but working in the pretense that her full-time job was raising all these kids and she was a housemaker john was the second born and the eldest son and with that comes a lot of responsibility and like um assume like basically it is assumed upon you when you are the the man of the family, especially the young, the oldest born, that you will not only grow up to help provide for the family, but most likely take on your parents' debts. And like also there, when his father is to pass away, it's basically on him to take over the business. So John, though, was born out of wedlock and his parents didn't get married until about when until about six months after John was born. This is most likely due to the fact that Eliza was underage, which, you know, ew. Let me just start off by saying that's disgusting. But sadly, this was way too fucking common in this time period. They also go on to have six more children. So they had a total of eight yeah, that's math. Um, sadly, two or three of those those children do pass away quite young and don't even they don't make it to adulthood, which is also common for this time period because modern medicine was not a thing. And they were living in a tenement, which was a slum, so they definitely didn't have access to even what little medicine and doctors were available at that time. So John is a poor Catholic boy and really had limited opportunities available to him. In Ireland at this time, John was looked down upon um, due to his heritage and religion. And because this was kind of expected of the eldest son of the family to take over his father's business, John, however, didn't want to he had other ideas i mean who you're young you have stars in your eyes about the world and you feel like i have more to he felt that he had more to offer the world than just taking over his father's cab business and so as a poor kid though a poor like catholic boy and this is important because at the time uh, there was a, a huge like political battle going on in Ireland at this time. The Irish natives, they were looked down on as second citizens, even though this was like their home. <laughs> this was their land. You know, all they did was be born and they were just, you know, that's that, um, how it goes. So, um, even though John doesn't really want to take over his dad's um, business, he also doesn't have any real opportunity available to him unless he gets a reference. So John needs to come up with some kind of idea or get his feet in the door 
get introduced to the right people so that he can become a civil servant is what he's hoping for. So for a while, as um, John does, he's living a semi-straight and narrow life. As soon as John is at the age where he's old enough to get a job, that was expected him of him almost out of necessity to the family's survival. John's family lived in the slums and most of the families within these tenements were living in like one bedroom apartments with entire generations of families living within. So like there's these little apartments and um, it could be just literally one room okay and so this one room house could have a family of six to eight plus grandparents and also extended family so if like a sibling got married they also would move into this apartment if they had no other option is fucking wild and the crazy thing is is like we think that shit doesn't happen today um try again this this is still happening today but um, back in the day, you had kids to hopefully make it so that surviving was easier. In the case of John's living situation, they had one, they had at one time at least his parents, siblings, grandma, and at a certain point, siblings, families, and kids within an apartment made for a single family. So, like, this was maybe a kitchen and a room, and they all lived there, which is, I can't imagine. You had to be super close to your family at that point. So this made the living situation, of course, quite a bit of a struggle for John and his family. In fact, the family ends up moving at a certain point from one tenement building to another due to the original structure being condemned by the city. So that kind of gives you the idea of what these buildings were like. These buildings were already known to be infested with rats and cockroaches and I'm sure other things. And um, that was the norm. That wasn't considered condemned. There had to be other things that they were like, oh, we must do something about this. So for a building to be condemned as well, we can just imagine how fucking nasty this building was. I mean, I just... I already know. It just was horrible, okay? John, though, he's like in the mindset of he wants to get out. He wants to live a life that isn't just slaving away to barely, barely survive. So he has bigger plans for his life. And um, he definitely does not plan on taking his father's cab business over. So when he becomes of age, he goes out and attempts to put himself in the presence of those of higher class status to hopefully get a chance or at least a foot in the door somewhere. It is then he meets Lieutenant Martin Ornamar Kawan. Let me tell you, I am going to butcher some names today and I apologize. I really do. I am a reader. Uh, so when I speak things out loud, they don't come out quite the way I expect them to. And I really try. Okay. So I am sorry. He was no common soldier, this Martin. In fact, he was kind of a snob and looked down upon the common soldier. John and Martin most likely met around 
Green Street or Trinity College. Green Street is a big street for St. Patty's Day, just saying. That's why I think this story is really funny to be saying, to be telling on St. Patty's Day. So this is where Martin liked to hang out and pick up on the young men who were attracted to men in uniform. And he wore his uniform, not out of pride for being in the military, but more out of, um, to get the attention. He liked the attention, the uniform drew. It was Martin who introduced John to the world of sex a little bit, okay? So um, he's introduced, John is then introduced to the plenty of rent boys down by Trinity and the Trinity College in Green Street. Now, a rent boy is a term that is used to describe a particular type of male prostitute. It is usually referred to as a young man who has sex with other men for money, a rent boy was almost exclusively a streetwalker. Martin, who is who presents as someone who most likely didn't have any need to supplement his income, also probably um, turned a trick or two as he kept uh, the he kept in company of much older men. Now, it is important to note that John was attracted to both male and females, which allows John to slip into the world of Rent Boy fairly easy without much of a like dilemma. And so it is a bit unclear if Martin was John's first mark or if he ever actually made money off of Martin, but it is pretty clear that Martin and uh, John had a relationship, most likely an open relationship and an on and off again relationship. One of those things was probably one of those. So one of those things that you need as a rent boy or even anyone, one of those things that you see often in the world of sex trade is nicknames or aliases or stage names. So it is probably around this time that John decides to take on an alias. And it's why it's a little, it's a, and, and so that is why history kind of knows John as Jack. And Jack, and this is probably around the time when Jack enters into the service of Rent Boy, that he starts to go by Jack in that world and John in his normal everyday world. Something else that having a relationship with Martin was able to do for Jack though was get him a really good reference, which allowed him to land a solid ass day job as a civil servant at a wealthy home of a prominent young doctor named John Joseph Cranny. While working for John, he was also able to get a good look at what an upper class lifestyle kind of looked like. He was in this doctor's house because he was a civil servant, which is basically um, a housemaid, but you also help the person you're hired with with whatever they may need okay so while he's working for this doctor he used he used this money he was getting from both his doctor or the civil servant um pay and being a rent boy the money he was making off the streets 
Um, and he was buying himself clothing, presenting himself differently, but he was also still sending home money to his family and bringing home money to his family to make sure that they were being taken care of. And also, I think you just had to. You weren't allowed to say no to your family at the time. And I'm sure they just had family loyalty. This all was all going well for Jack. I mean, he... He had a great day job and was making decent money within the world of Rent Boys. And he's like, hell yeah, I'm vibing. I'm doing my thing. His parents are proud of him and he's proud of himself. They don't know about his like underworld activities. What they don't know doesn't kill them. You know, he's like, at least I'm making money. In October of 1879, though, Jack and his friend William Clark are going to be arrested after being caught sneaking out of Dr. Joseph's house, Dr. John's Joseph's house window, which had already been kind of broken. But so basically in this time, the police patrolled the streets. Okay. And he heard a police officer heard a little noise walked his happy ass over there to figure it out and there he catches a couple of hoodlums breaking out of what what it seems to be breaking out of um the doctor's house with some items so they get arrested and at first this doctor i said first wrong at first this doctor does say that all the items found on the boys belong to him Claims the items were, you know, his. And the items were a coat, a walking stick, gloves, and a salt cellar. But upon further investigation, the items are never claimed by the doctor. He actually denies that they're his. And the window that was broken was actually already had been broken. And it was possible that Jack had just been talking to his friends from said window or that he was sneaking out of the window for some reason or maybe something indifferent entirely. It does seem strange that the doctor decides to deny any of the items are his. Maybe it's because he found out that it was John who got caught. Maybe there was something going on there. I can't tell for certain, but I will say... It is strange, but this does allow both boys to be acquitted. However, because of this incident, he is now ruined. Uh, You fuck up once and you fuck up as an Irish Catholic boy at this time. You are fucked. That's it. You don't get to recover. Okay, your reputation is ruined. So he is acquitted, but that doesn't mean he was acquitted in the public eye, if that makes sense. So at this time, though, when he was staying in the jail, uh, a description of the only known description of Jack or John is recorded. And John slash Jack is um, known to be fair with blue eyes and a fair complexion apparently with his looks and something else that we will get into in a little bit later 
He was a hot, hot commodity back in the day. Anyways, so because of the incident, that is quite weird, in my opinion. It doesn't quite make sense on to me still. But because of this, Jack does lose his job at the house that he was accused of theft from, which would make sense if he actually stole something. But if the guy says that that's not his, why would he lose his job? Well, he loses his job because it he can't have a civil servant in his house with a bad reputation because then he would have a bad reputation and there can be none of that. So he finds himself out of a job and needing money fast because his family needs him. And so he has two options. He has the option to go back and work for his dad while maybe still making her an, or some money on the side as a rent boy, or he can make a change. And so for Jack, the decision was clear. He was moving to the big city of London to ply his trade in a new environment. So in London, he goes to work meeting, mingling with London's rent boy crowd, and he starts making money pretty much right away and sending what he can back to his family. Now, out of his day job, things weren't always as secure. It is so, you know, if you work any sort of gig job or tip related job like a bartender server, a paid sex worker, income isn't always guaranteed, you know? You you really bring in what you put in into the work and that goes for any kind of like gig like job like that so isn't always his money income isn't always secure but he is making money and he is sending back to his family and it's here he meets charles him on hammond for the first time charles hammond <laughs> Now, Charles is an interesting fellow and is also a professional sodomite, which is a word that I've never thought I would say, but basically, that is what he was, just like John. He, they were both professional in their field of male sex, and we will get more into that word in a little bit. But he meets this man, and he's married to a French prostitute named Carolina Eugene coat. Charles himself, like I said, was also a prostitute and eventually he goes on to become a pimp. And you know how I feel about pimps. I I feel not. I don't like them. <laughs> uh yeah, so but it could be different in the male sex world. I don't know. He could be okay. Uh who knows? But we do know he's married to a French prostitute who was quite what seems to be quite a character herself he also was a character and yeah within two weeks of meeting charles john slash jack <laughs> is he moves in with this couple at 25 oxendon street in the hay market okay the hair market. The hay market? Yeah, hair. Harmon, being clearly taken with the pretty Irish boy, takes him under his wing in a certain kind of way. Starts to really introduce him to people he knows living in London. It isn't long before Charles starts bringing him along to meet people 
and collect a high amount in rent. AKA, Jack wasn't dumb. He knew what was happening. He knew that Charles was, in a way, inadvertently pimping him out, but that was Jack's career, and he was wanting to learn London, so he, at first, was okay with it because here's these this couple who is introducing him to a highly affluent and influential people within London making money but Jack knew that Charles was taking way way away too much in rents because essentially he just without asking became his pimp if that makes sense So a lot of his money was going to Charles and the rest of the money that he was making was going to his family back in Ireland. So it was a lot, you know, Uh, not a lot went to him personally, the one putting in the work, which ah, fucked up. Okay, wild times back then. But London, he stayed with Charles because he felt connected to to them and it gave them it gave him sort of of a home like it was like home away from home he felt seen by them understood by them but also um taken care of by them so he was willing to put up with it for a while until tragedy strikes then tragedy hits the soul family when the sole provider their father passes away And this bad news for the family came as a true shock. And it is not good for the family because, you know, I like I said, sole provider, the the main sole provider, you know, because John is still having Jack and John, not Jack and John, John slash Jack is still having to pay his own way because he doesn't live at home. So the money that was going from John to his family was wasn't consistent enough to be considered a provider, but he was still doing what he could to help out. So if the family lost the main breadwinner, it was bad news bears. It was also then put the bore it then also put the burden of money making on the son, especially the older son so jack gets the news of his father passing and of course he knows he needs to go back home so he goes however being back home that pressure was laid right on his shoulders that pressure to care and take over the family business a pressure that he seemed not fully ready for or equipped to deal with or even wanting His mother, Eliza, was happy to have her son home, fully expecting him to take over the cab business and take care of them and become their new sole provider. She had small children within the house still, and she needed if she needed the help. But for Jack, this was not what he wanted in life. And being the cab driver was not something he ever wanted to take on so it was really only a matter of time before jack decides it's time for him to go back to london and to his mother's utter surprise and dismay that's exactly what he does and she's 
of course distraught because that leaves her selfishly out of having her son take over for her and that is a selfish thing i will say but it was a different time back then but it also i'm sure hurt to know that her son was willing to just look past the family's needs to try to find some kind of happiness for himself and what he felt his true calling was was the world of sex he was still very willing to help his family and send the money he was making back, but he wasn't willing to take over the family's business, which, like I said, honestly, fair, 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 fair. <laughs> Off he went back to London, not immediately, though, back to Charles, because Charles had actually in the time that he was in uh, in the time John was in uh, Ireland, Charles had moved out of London. So now Jack is doing his thing without Charles and living his life, making money. Okay, my camera battery died. What's new? Um, and now that it's charged, I don't know if you guys can see, but my little nightmare is down here and he has made a bed for uh, himself. And he is so cute. Yeah, so he's just found himself a home, what can I say? And uh, we're not going to disturb him because I said found himself a home. I found himself a bed, and we're not going to disturb him because we love him. And my cats are my babies, and they're spoiled. Spoiled, Ryan. So we're just going to share our seats with this man, if that's okay. I think we can... I think he'll be okay with that. Um, where were we, though? Okay, so we were just getting back to talking about... Uh, we were, John slash Jack had just gone back to London, and he didn't um, move right back into the house with Charles and his wife, because he was kind of wanting to do his own thing. And um, also, Charles was no longer in London at this time. So he's doing his thing, living his life, sending money back, living in like boarding houses at this point. Until eventually... Uh, hi, handsome. Can I, can I scoot up in a little bit in here? Is this okay? I think this is okay. I think we can make that work. Okay, so eventually, though, um, Charles does move back to London, and Jack and him do link back up. Charles doesn't waste no time going on to collecting money from Jack, though. In fact, he would go on to collect 35 shillings a month for a room that should have gone for six to eight. Is that how you tell it? say it? Shingling? Never said that word out loud, and I've always read it shingling, so I, I think I'm wrong, though, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyways, so he was charging him extensively, clearly. So Jack was kind of not cool with that. In fact, um, he was collecting so much money from him at this point that he just came to the conclusion that he really didn't even need someone like Charles. He had the connections himself and he was able to survive. It's just that Charles was able to provide a family-like environment where 
it wasn't like finding different rooms every night to he had a solid place he could go he had people that he could semi-trust and he knew that that was always going to be there but he was still like not at this point it was becoming too much a lot of money for someone for a room that should have gone for six to eight you know so at this point he's weighing his options. And that is when someone enters his life that is going to give him an opportunity to make his first mark in history. That was when Jack meets a man who who exactly this man is, we aren't quite sure. The world may actually never know. Lots of speculations, but what we do know about this man is that he is going to help immoralize Jack immortalize Jack after a night spent rendezvousing the man is going to offer Jack a lot of money to write his story well more so write Jack's story not so much the story of John which you would think same person same story not quite. See, John was a poor boy from Ireland who turned to sex work in some say necessity and some say for extra cash at first and then it became a necessity. But in Jack's story, Dublin Jack, he was proud. He was someone from wealth who didn't need to turn to sex work, but wanted to. So Jack and John's story doesn't really add quite up to be the same person. However, let's get into it. The French really loved their erotic porn novels. And that was pretty much how you got your porn back then. And even though they were very underground, uh, these novels were very underground, and if caught with them at this time period, it was not a good look, to say the least. Gossiped about, the littlest things could ruin your reputation back in the time, especially if you were caught with the something as scandalous as as Dublin Jack's story. See, at this time, it's important to remember, sodomy is illegal and could be punished severely, but also you would lose all credibility and ability to find any kind of respectable work or anything, and it would be a major, major scandal. So for Jack to come out and tell his story, admitting to so many rendezvous with prominent men, it was a bit of a shock and ballsy thing to do, even under an, an alias. But the sin of cities of the plain, well, now that is a book worthy of a blush or two. This book was written as if it was the life of Double and Jack, like I said before, which you would think means it's a true story. However, not quite. Jack was tasked to write an erotic novel of his life, not a true story of his life, not the hardships he went through in his life. Now, we can't say that all of those hardships were due to being a male rent boy, 
No. I mean, he already was born into a very tumultuous time and in the slums. So it's not like he had many options available to him, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's not a true story of his life. But John wrote this book but he wrote his persona as Jack and all the adventures that Jack went on. It could be said that the adventures of Jack in the bed are true tales of the life John led. However, that could be also discredited because there are a few stories that Jack or John tells in his story that don't add up. Time periods don't match up, or maybe they do, because now that we're thinking about it, maybe time periods don't match up. They say that it's historians now today say some of his rendezvous are impossible because of his age range on when it would have been taking part of these said sexual acts. In particular, with one of them at a party with someone very prominent. He would have taken, he would have been in that party at 12, and it just doesn't seem like John's life could have uh, collided with Jack's life at that time. So, this, these stories could be false. But that does not mean everything in this book was a fit. Not at all. We can start off by saying that anonymous man who wanted to give him this chance and opportunity to write his story that often is referred to as as autobiography um well he as we know don't know who he is but according to legend or history depending on how you look at it what drew him to want to talk to jack want to give jack this time was was that jack was very well endowed if you know what i mean to be clear jack apparently had a big penis and it really helped in his line of field so this allowed jack to be very popular and that included getting the attention of this anonymous man who they spent the night together doing all kinds of naughty things but after spending time with him rendezvousing they actually kind of got to know each other and he was interested in jack's life as a rent boy and felt that his stories that he was able to share with this man with him was weren't enough to uh, to get a book he knew that this kind of sex would sell in the underground world so whoever our anonymous publisher is i guess you can say publisher uh was somehow already connected to erotic novels and the underground world okay so you know that jack has a great penis but did john yes yes he did because john is jack and even though their stories might be fibbed a little bit this is what he was known for well he's actually known in history now for some other things but like including this book but at, in his time he was very popular in the underground vice world because of his lovely penis and people just wanted him for that so of course this want this man wanted a porno and jack had the penis to have enough stories to give him one so that's exactly what they did uh, things that go into this this book is a blush e worthy of course especially for its time period jack had 
all the stories and all the experience to be able to know sex as it is not as they wanted you to think it was which is really important because back then they sold vanilla sex of course like man and wife man and wife straightforward vanilla sex and so that is not in what that's not going to be what john portrays in his book in fact john goes on to talk about threesomes he talks about orgies he talks about cross-dressing and his cross-dressing persona he talks about all kinds of out there sex that would of course shock the world if it got into everyone's hands scandalous i'm telling you they'd be scandalized but he knew the world was comfortable in the world of sex to know what sex really could look like for everyone if they so choose for it to look like that so jack gave the world a book that even even still today sits in the british library and is the only book that has to be watched by a librarian when someone comes to visit and check it uh they can't check it out but when they come to see and read it you have to be supervised um because they tended to have a lot of wankers coming through if you get what i'm throwing out there they had a bunch of people coming in, pleasuring themselves to it, making, I'm sure, a scene. So at certain points, the British Library was like, enough is enough. Uh, anyone that's coming in here gets observed, and this book is under lock and key. So if that tells you anything about the book in question, well, it tells you it was hot and heavy, and people got off to it. So must be interesting. His book goes on to tell the many stories of Dublin Jack, and still today, a lot of those escapades, like I said, are debated. Some we know are false, but some we know we some we know are totally true either way dublin jack makes a makes scandalous history and a book that is still highly respected and regarded in the lgbt community today his first mark on history and what a wonderful mark it is to make because it shows a bunch of things it shows that sex work always around always going to be around uh sexuality is not just this textbook man and woman it's sexuality so as long as it's safe sane and consensual then we're having a good time um and it also just gives us a look at a boy who was not willing to take the normal route in life and so yeah we get to really dive that book really shows just you know how how uh how scandalous it was back then how scandalized people would have been come finding this but also it's um shows that even back in the 1850s 1870s 1800s whatever people were willing to live their truth no matter how dangerous it could be and it could be dangerous and we're gonna get there but honestly i didn't expect this to be such a long video but it has been so i guess dublin jack is gonna get a two-parter because we are just getting into the juicy details jack's story gets 
way more gossipy, way more tea spilling, and way more... Ooh, that happened. So, I hope you enjoyed the first parts of John Soul and getting to know Jack. And I hope you come back for episode or for part two. It'll be next week. I won't make you wait that long. And I might even still be in these cute little. Would that be too much? That might be too much if I come back the same, like three weeks later and I'm still in. Anyways, who cares? But yes, I have really enjoyed getting into Jack's story and really learning his life. And it's hard to get facts from such a far time past. And you'll really see that when we come into part two. But um, it's still fun digging in and like seeing the scandals and the like such similarities to vice and sex work today because it's still like it's like different but the same you know like people are the same but different because technology and stuff anyways i'm rambling but yeah that is gonna be it for part one i hope you come back next week to hear the scandalous history of dublin jack and uh yeah subscriptions should be back up and i'm very excited they should be at the right price and here we go now we're kicking off the right start you know it's all you have to leave it to me to stumble like several times before i get it right but that's how you learn right and uh yeah until then i hope you have a wonderful wonderful rest of your night a great weekend and i will see you next time bye <laughs> i got something between my legs i'll make a dead man come on I got something between my legs, I'll make a dead man come out.